Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 152, and it's 31st of January, 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Or should I say, several weeks? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time, hasn't it, since we last did this. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy to be here doing this again, because I miss talking to you, Kirsty, and I miss talking about Star Wars. Um, but yeah, no, I've been very well. Um, I've been doing lots and lots of things, and because it's been so long ago that we last recorded, I could not possibly begin to chronicle them. Um, in terms of Star Wars, the most important thing I've probably done is read Light of the Jedi, um, which I really enjoyed. It's the kickoff to the High Republic, and yeah, we're going to do a separate episode on it, so I'm going to shut up now, but it was a good read, and I have lots of thoughts to share on it, so yeah, it'll be fun to get to that in due course. It's next on my reading list, so I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. I think the only relevant Star Wars thing I've done is watch the Disney Gallery episode for The Mandalorian Season 2. Um, and those are always great. I loved the whole Season 1. They didn't have like the round table format this time. I'm guessing because of COVID. Because some of the clips as they're filming in that, you can see Dave Filoni like, wearing masks and stuff. Right. So they're, they're definitely getting into that era. Um, but yeah, they... I don't, they, the level of detail that they go into about the sets and the costumes and there's just so much passion put into that show uh, is pretty incredible. Um, I did know that there wasn't too much about Din and Grogu themselves. And I noticed mm. that about season one as well, actually. I don't know if they're kind of just playing their cards close to their chest in terms of what his arc is going to turn out to be. Right. Um but yeah, I would like a little bit more of a focus on him. But And there's also nothing about Luke, but that makes sense because they'd want to keep that super secret. Yeah, so is it mainly focused on the effects and how they create like the visuals and stuff for the show? Yeah, and yeah, like how, how they've developed um, the, the volume technology because it's even more impressive than season one. And yeah, just the sets and all the background characters. And you see, is it Matthew Woods as Bib Fortuna? He's played him in in other parts of the Star Wars canon too. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, definitely worth a watch. Okay, nice. I still haven't got round to that, but I'll have to check it out. Um, especially as I'm at my parents at the moment and it's definitely the kind of thing my dad would love. He really likes oh, yeah. behind the scenes things. I think he would. And it's only one episode this season, so much more easy to get into and digest. Okay, perfect. I look forward to that. Have you watched the uh, new High Republic show? I haven't yet. Um, I really want to. I think I was a little bit afraid that they might spoil things from some of the things I haven't read. That's why I haven't watched it yet, but it's it's on my list. I really want to. It looks great. It's been getting really good reviews. Um, mm. But yeah, I know what you mean. I just didn't want to like accidentally get spoiled on anything. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like they can't do that, to be honest. I feel like they probably touch upon like general plot points, but I don't think they could spoil anything too important because I'd imagine that sort of show it has to be sort of like a gateway thing. You know, it's about a way of getting people interested and in reading the books and stuff. I might put a tweet out there just to ask people what it involves, you know, whether there are any spoilers. So yeah, then we can proceed in good confidence. Okay, yeah, because I really want to support it, obviously, because of everything that's been happening, but mm. I don't want to get spoiled on stuff, so... Yeah, same. Um, Okay, so we're going to move into our spotlight because there have been some items of news, but I don't feel like there's been anything really earth shattering. 
And it's been such a long time since we did this that I felt it was the best option to just really focus on one central topic. Um, especially because this central topic is quite a big one because what we want to do this time is a retrospective on The Force Awakens and basically look back at the like prehistory of that movie so like when it was announced like how things developed in the run-up to its release and then like the movie itself like how we felt about it when it came out like how we feel about it now you know how subsequent developments might have changed how we perceive that movie so yeah I'm probably being way too ambitious with what I have included in my notes but I thought it's best to aim high and then we'll see how far we get with it um yeah so how does it feel to be revisiting The Force Awakens Kirsty after gosh five six years I've lost track of how long it is but yeah a long time ago it's really quite nice isn't it (laughs) to go back to 2015 (laughs) yeah much more innocent time (laughs) especially after the year that we've had so basically when Mm. we decided to do this we we figured you know it's been over a year since the sequel trilogy was concluded um because of the year that we've had it feels more like five years and yeah it just felt like a good time to return to the sequel trilogy which obviously we both hold very dear um and you know the force awakens was what got us into it it's it's where it all began and we have a lot of love for it um so yeah, it was really nice to revisit it and, and think about how the story began and, and what came from it. And uh, we both had quite different experiences with it because I went in completely unaware of anything that was going on in the fandom at the time. And you had been following the development of the movie pretty closely. Yeah, intermittently. There were periods where I was following it really closely, but then there was a certain point where like, there was a massive spoiler dump, basically, and I freaked out a bit. It's just like, oh, I want to know things, but I don't want to know that many things. <laughs> so I kind of scurried off at that point, and I was a bit less involved for like the final six months leading up to the right. movie. Um, but yeah, like I did follow quite a few of the developments as it was quite exciting. And that's another reason why I wanted to do this, actually, because I know that you didn't have that experience of the run-up, Kirsty. So I thought I could sort of bottle that for you and like give you that pre-film anticipation experience for The Force Awakens that you, alas, never had. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think looking back on it, it's really strange now to have been so uninvested especially because I liked Star Wars Mm. you know and I saw all the prequel movies in the theatres um so I'd I'd been that into it before but it just kind of like drifted away from it obviously over time and the year before The Force Awakens came out I'd watched the teaser I'd watched the trailer uh, I'd been vaguely aware of some of the pictures that were coming out from Vanity Fair but Mm. I, but I wasn't like following any of the theories or really thinking about what the story would be for myself. I just kind of went in to see a regular movie. Like that's, I didn't have any expectations. It was quite nice. <laughs> yeah. And little did you know it would change your life. And obviously that's quite strong language, but it, it really has, I think, for both of us, hasn't it? Which, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. And it's the reason for our friendship, which I'm going to be eternally grateful for because, yeah, Kirsty's a great friend. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, it was, but you're right. It was the kind of thing where, like, you watched the film and it kind of, I don't know, for for a few reasons, it, it I don't want to say blew my mind because that sounds a bit ridiculous, but it just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for months I was like, why, why am I so into this story? What is it about it? These characters that have just grabbed me so much. Um, 
and then it kind of went from there. Yeah. No, so it's kind of like a fascinating film in many ways because like it's not reinventing the wheel, you know, it's not taking like huge narrative risks. It's not an experimental film by any means. But it's just kind of like it smuggles in these really interesting subtle touches that you just don't usually find in these types of movies. You know, like I've been watching lots of the Marvel films um, recently because my dad wanted to watch them so he could watch WandaVision. And like those are decent movies, you know, they're fun, they're like good blockbusters, you know, they're good for what they are. But I don't see like any depth in them, you know, there's nothing really for me to glom onto in terms of those characters and things. And I know other people feel differently, you know, I know those films have a huge fandom and many people are deeply attached. But there's just something very personal, I think, about how Kirsty and I relate to The Force Awakens and what it made us feel, which, yeah, it's hard to quantify, but I'll always be grateful for it. Yeah, and I've been watching a few Ryan Johnson interviews from, like, between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, so obviously he couldn't talk about his own movie in depth, but he was talking about what really stuck out to him in terms of The Force Awakens, what inspired him to want to dig further, and it was all the kind of things that grabbed us too so that was really interesting as well because that that then made sense going into the last shadow it's like his presumably i don't know for sure but it sounds like his reading and understanding of this film was quite similar to ours in a way that a lot of fans had not read it that way Mm, um so that makes sense why we love the last jedi and and some people did not um because the, the force awakens is it's very open isn't it? And I think that's what's exciting about it. It represents so many opportunities and possible directions that it could have gone in. Mm. That's what generated so much discussion in the fandom, for better or worse, because it was a really intense time. People had these very strong opinions about where the story should go and and where they thought it really was going. Um, And I guess we got lucky that the next director and writer happened to see it the way that we did. Yep. Exactly. Very lucky indeed. God bless the time. God bless Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I really, especially when JJ's commentary came out as well, he seemed to have very strong ideas about these new characters too. And it didn't mean that he had like set ideas about where their story should go, but he was obviously proud of what they'd created in these new characters. So I am always a bit, and I, I know that like George Lucas himself has said this that. Force Awakens doesn't really do anything new. It's very similar to A New Hope. I get why people say that the story in broad strokes is obviously very similar and they had reasons to do that and kind of assure the the fandom and the audience that they were going back to what Star Wars is. And, you know, you can debate that element until the cows come home. But um, underneath that, I think there was much more interesting stuff kind of simmering and it just kind of had to be drawn out through the rest of the story. And it, and it was, so... Exactly. Like, I think that's why Force Awakens and The Last Jedi interface so well, because Force Awakens is all about sowing those seeds, and then Last Jedi is all about like carefully tending to them so they blossom into beautiful flowers. And <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about The Rise of Skywalker eventually, guys, but I won't extend the metaphor to that at this moment, because, yeah, I want to keep things happy. <laughs> So yeah, let's go back to the very beginning. So I think the first people knew officially that there was going to be a Star Wars Episode 7 came on 30th of October 2012, 
such a long time ago. My God, that's almost 10 years ago now. Um, because, yeah, that was the day that the Walt Disney Company put out a press release announcing that they had acquired Lucasfilm, basically. And that press release included a short snippet, particularly about episode seven. And that reads as follows. Miss Kathleen Kennedy will serve as an executive producer on new Star Wars feature films, with George Lucas serving as creative consultant. Star Wars Episode 7 is targeted for release in 2015, with more feature films expected to continue the Star Wars saga and grow the franchise well into the future. So yeah, that all happened. Apart from poor George being a creative consultant, that didn't happen. And Maybe he was initially? Yeah, I think there was an element where he was involved at the very beginning. Um, but yeah, I think it did become clear quite quickly that his ideas didn't really mesh with the ideas that Disney and JJ and co were looking at. So at that point, they hadn't announced JJ as director? They had not, no. Okay. So that was yet to come. Do you remember this happening in real time? Do I remember the announcement that Disney had yeah. acquired Lucasfilm? I do, very vaguely. Um, I can't say I remember having a particularly strong feeling about it either way, because I did like Star Wars, but, you know, like I wasn't particularly mature at the time. I didn't have much of a sense for, like, how Disney acquiring a company would change things, you know, in terms of the storytelling. So I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. Nice that we're getting more Star Wars films. And then I moved on, and then as it started to heat up more and we got more news, I became more invested again. Right. I feel like I must have learned about this because that that is quite big news in the entertainment sphere. Yeah. <laughs> Understatement. But um, yeah, I just don't remember having an inter- a reaction to it, which sounds strange. I mean, there must be some people listening who have been into Star Wars for a very long time and remember this happening and having very strong feelings about it. But I, I just, yeah, I, I guess I just wasn't invested at that point. Yeah, Star Wars was kind of over in my mind. I know that they had the EU and everything, but after the prequels, I just kind of figured the story was told. So little did I know. (laughs) Exactly. Our minds were about to be blown. Um, But yeah, of course, this kind of announcement comes out and the internet is immediately full of fevered speculation. Um, And there was naturally lots of speculation that they were going to draw on the EU slash Legends material. Um, and yeah people built up a lot of expectations in those few years basically (laughs) after the announcement that was happening and before the announcement that no sorry we're not going to be adapting the EU and yeah I do remember at the time people being rather disappointed by that and I think partly you see the genesis in that of a lot of the bad feeling that exists today Mm. where you know there's lots of grumbles where people are like oh the eu is so much better the timothy zahn trilogy is the true star wars sequel trilogy and stuff and people are entitled to think that you know so i know people grew up with these stories in lots of cases um but yeah i feel like disney could have probably avoided a lot of that if they'd made a clean cut right at the very beginning and just been clear that no we're not going to adapt those stories guys sorry but to be fair, I suppose they were considering all kinds of options at that stage. And they might have even considered doing something more like the EU early on. Yeah. And, you know, for over the years, a lot of those characters and stories have made their way into newer canon. And I, I mm. think we're going to see more of that going forward. So, yeah. yeah, maybe they didn't want to reveal all that too early. But it's not like they entirely scrapped it. And of course while it hasn't been continued in that regard it's still there for people to enjoy 
Exactly. So if you yeah. prefer that as your sequel trilogy, it's right there. Yeah. It's not like the books are incinerated and like removed from existence. <laughs> They're still available. So yeah no and like you say I think that they're doing a nice thing now you know by drawing on those books as source material and picking and choosing what they want to incorporate I think that's a nice way to do it you know it keeps it it's not like they're using it out of obligation but they're saying oh that was a good idea and then applying that in the new canon yeah I mean we even got a Fraun mention in the new season of Mando (laughs) exactly we definitely did (laughs) a very big mention oh my gosh um but yeah, with Force Awakens, I think one of the first substantial pieces of character information we got came when character descriptions leaked online in November 2013. So this was basically when they were auditioning people to play the leads. And, you know, they put out character descriptions so that the actors know what sort of person they're going to be playing in their auditions. And yeah, some of these might just got out there into the wide expanse of the internet. And they're quite interesting, especially, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Um, could you read them out, Kirsty? Yeah, so Ray was called Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> How do Yay! you feel about that, Rachel? <laughs> do you wish that she was actually called Rachel? I feel really great about that. I feel represented. I feel lots of love for people called Rachel, which I very much appreciate. I feel like it's an often overlooked name. So, yeah, I'm glad. Okay, so here's the description. Was quite young when she lost her parents. With no other family, she was forced to make her way alone in a tough, dangerous town. Now 17, she has become street smart and strong. She is able to take care of herself using humour and guts to get by. Always a survivor, never a victim, she remains hopeful that she can move away from this harsh existence to a better life. She is always thinking of what she can do to move ahead. And Thomas, who was Finn, has grown up without a father's influence. Without the model of being a man, he doesn't have the strongest sense of himself. Despite this, he is smart, capable, and shows courage when it is needed. He can appreciate the absurdities in life and understands you can't take life too seriously. I think those are pretty good descriptions considering they had to be super vague and like obviously not clue in that it was Star Wars. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. They are quite true to how the characters eventually came across in the film. There are there are obviously differences. They're not one for one. But yeah, they're clearly representations of the characters we do get to meet in the film in the end, which, mm. yeah, given that this is two years before the film came out, that's quite impressive. It's an important level of information, I think, to get at that stage. Although I must say I'm glad they made Ray 19 rather than 17 because I just couldn't cope with the discourse if Ray was only 17. Well, <laughs> like, that would oh have been God. a very different story. <laughs> it would have been. They wouldn't have taken that in the same directions, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, do you um, see anything here that pops out to you, Kirsty, about these descriptions? Um, I guess the thing about Rachel always thinking of what she can do to move ahead, that... That's quite different from what we see of Ray, isn't it? Because mm. um, Ray, when we meet her, is very stuck. Like psychologically, she thinks that she's where she needs to be and she's just waiting. And from our perspective, she's kind of wasting her life away on Jakku with false hope that her family will return. But this makes it, this sounds almost more like uh, Luke when you first meet him. Like we're yeah. planning to move away, you know? Yeah, and reading this makes me actually appreciate what they did with Ray in the end more, because I feel like the way she's actually framed in the film, it's much more nuanced and unusual. 
you know, mm-hmm. that idea of a character not wanting to progress, really, you know, like wanting to stay where they are because they have this false hope that the people who abandon them will come back. You know, that is the kind of story you don't often see because there's a lot of complexity to that on the emotional level. And yeah, it's played really well. Like I think Daisy reflected that really strongly in the film. So I'm glad they made it a bit more different from, you know, the Luke model of, oh, I just want to go on an adventure, you know, because it's so easy to write a hero where that's their aspiration. You know, I think it's much more interesting to have a more reluctant hero who kind of gets dragged into the adventure and then has to learn what they're going to make of their role in that. I agree. Um, yeah, so the official announcement of the cast was made in April 2014. So they put out the famous image of everyone sat in a room. It was a black and white picture. And then all the cast were sat in the round and there was the old actors, so Mark and Harrison and Carrie, and then the newcomers, so like Daisy, John, Adam, Oscar, Donal, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, it was most people, but not everyone. So for example, they hadn't cast Gwendolyn Christie at that point or Lupita Nyong'o for that matter. Um, so yeah, they would come later, but most of the cast was announced in April 2014. Um and yeah, basically this one image of everyone sat around in a circle prompted a lot of discussion. So I actually dug back in time and I found a Reddit thread from the time that the picture was released. And I went through and picked out some theories about what people were speculating based on that image. So could you read out some of the first ones, Kirsty, so we can like have a little discussion about how dead on or not they were? <laughs> sure. This is all funny to me because I didn't see this photo until after I'd watched the movie. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> people's fairies, kind of hilarious. Yeah. Daisy is Han and Leia's daughter, showcased by her position between mum and dad. <laughs> Boyega is the Jedi and Isaac is the dashing solo type character sitting together. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Driver sitting beside Boyega as his antagonist, Sith. Andy Serkis sitting next to Boyega and Isaac makes me think he'll be a good guy this time around. Oh, <laughs> oh baby. <laughs> better with Andy Serkis. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, God, have I ever seen him play a good character? Uh, have you ever seen 13 going on 30? I have not. Oh, it's a classic. So yeah, I presume he's a good guy in that one. As far as I remember. <laughs> but that's going back a long way. <laughs> and to be fair i guess in the planet of the apes movies caesar is the hero of oh films. yeah of course so yeah that counts i guess but yeah i feel like this considering it's literally just based on a photo i think that's not too bad you know mm-hmm. in terms of guesses um and i will personally admit at this point that i also thought that daisy was going to be han Lay's daughter on the basis of that photo i was very basic in my speculation <laughs> You know what? I can't blame anyone for the Ray Solo theories because what do they expect when they keep casting white brunettes? Yeah. It's such a Star Wars thing. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like the physical profile of her. It's like, oh, wow, she definitely looks like she could be related to those people. Hmm. And yeah, I'm glad she wasn't. But yeah, they weren't doing themselves any favours by just picking that same type of woman over and over again. Even with Jin and Kira, you know, there were theories when the, even when the um, solo trailer came out, people were like, what if Kira is his sister? Mm. I was like, again, <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening, but I can't blame people for keeping thinking all these people are related. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's like, 
yeah, they really, really need to improve on that going forward in the movies. I really hope we see more diverse faces because, yeah, Star Wars desperately needs it. Um, and yeah, like I think, like you observed, Kirsty, the most like dead-on parts are Boyega, Isaac, and Driver. Like they're mm. all they're like in the right ballpark with all of those, basically. And obviously, jo- like Finn being a Jedi in Tross is handled awfully, and it's almost like an afterthought. But he does have Force powers. So, yeah, like that did come to pass. Yeah, and even in the the movie The Force Awakens, you know, he wields a lightsaber, so depending on your definition of Jedi. Exactly, yeah. And he does fight the Darksider, so exactly. they were right about Driver being his villain. <laughs> um, yep, and then I found another set of theories that was even more elaborate, which I thought would be equally hilarious to read about. So could you read these too, Kirsty? Boyega, young hotshot Jedi, too wild and unpredictable, but very powerful best friends with Gleason. <laughs> Luke. Sorry, I love this so much. There were so many theories about Donal. I'm sorry, please continue. Luke Skywalker Jr. Shy and overwhelmed by the shadow of his father, Boyega will help him unleash his amazing heritage in the new trilogy. Oh no, this sounds like something I could ship. Uh, he definitely <laughs> will come to be something special and grow up in power after helping Boyega recover from a crushing defeat. Remember, he's an Anakin-esque figure, too powerful for his own good. Daisy, Leia and Solo's daughter. Possibly a Jedi, but I wouldn't put all my cards on it since we don't want a force overload. She's the center of a romantic triangle, probably between Boyega and Driver. Isaac and her would look very creepy together. <laughs> Do you hear that, Colin Trevorrow? Yeah, exactly. I love this person. And I must say that comment alone was a big part of why I included this. Because I was like, early Raylo prediction. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Driver. He's been rumoured as the villain for a while, and I'm definitely guessing he could be, but I'm seeing him more as a rogue and possible love interest for Daisy. Love the idea of him being a bounty hunter. <laughs> uh, ben Solo. Oh, what could have anyway. been? <laughs> Isaac. My cards are on him being the new Sith Lord, too old to be Hanalea's son. Maybe a Jedi, or maybe a top military officer infiltrated by orders of the new Sith Lord. He could also be a fallen Jedi, but remember, we already have Luke, Luke Jr. (laughs) (laughs) And Boyega. Too many effing Jedi, and the whole balance of characters goes right down. (laughs) Okay, I won't repeat the foul language. Like it happened in the prequels. Okay, Max von Sydow. He's the key to the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. He probably is the new Sith Lord, the old one who's been in hiding for a while. Maybe a fallen Jedi from the days of the Old Republic who turned to the dark side and now looks to recruit a successor. Or maybe waiting in the shadows and positioning his apprentice to make their move. Yeah, too much like the prequels, but difficult to start episode 7 with the Sith already unveiled. (laughs) So I I cannot stress this enough to people who were not there in the pre-TFA era. But this was so common. People placed massive importance on Max von Sydow. Like, people were convinced he was going to be, like, a main character, the main big bad of the whole sequel trilogy, basically. And Max is a badass, basically. So I get it. Like, he's very imposing. He's an amazing voice. You know, I see why people want someone like him as a villain. But it's just so, so funny, given that he was only in it for, like, a minute. (laughs) He dies in the first scene. <laughs> oh my god, those poor people. Oh god. Even after the movie, people were like, Los Anteca, theories. <laughs> it's the key to all this. It's, it's the key. And yeah, Nothing, the. Um, there's no theories. <laughs> yeah. 
And Donald Gleason as young Luke, that was also obscenely popular. So many people were convinced of that. Um, and I guess there's a vague, vague resemblance between him and Mark, so I can kind of see why people went there. Well, but... as well with the red hair, you could think, well, Mara Jade. Yes, that's true. I bet that was part of it, actually. Um, and yeah, I guess also because Donal, up to this point, he'd mainly been known to play nice guys, you know, like in About Time and stuff. Yeah. So people probably didn't see him as like a angry, like prissy officer. Kind of. It wasn't the type of character he'd really played up to that point. So yeah, I don't think anyone guessed who Donal was playing correctly. Yeah, there's not really a sense. I mean, even that, that guy who's talking there is like, well, I don't expect the Sith or the bad guys to be revealed immediately Mm. but they kind of are again carlo's in that first scene (laughs) yeah exactly and also as an aside i must mention how fascinating it was to read these old reddit threads and read about how every other comment was saying how terrible the prequels were and how the sequels were inevitably going to be so much better and it's so interesting it's completely turned on its head now so if you go into any reddit thread it's all about how the prequels are wonderful and underrated and great movies and how the sequels are absolutely horrendous and should be wiped from canon. And it's like, wow, how the tables turn. It's, yeah, just so interesting what a difference a few years makes, you know, in terms of people's perceptions of these things. Yeah, I am interested to see in a few years what the perception of the sequel trilogy will be like then. Same. Um, Very yeah, much. Yeah, because I remember after the, the movie came out, kind of looking at clips from interviews and that, and even the cast and crew themselves were kind of there there was this thing like they were trying to distance themselves from the prequels you know yeah especially jj was doing that quite a bit to be honest yeah no there was a huge emphasis on that that's why there was all this like constant jabber about like all practical effects (laughs) you know and just like endlessly like wheeling out the robots and you know talking about the falcon being back and stuff which is all cool i understand it but yeah, like <laughs> it did get a bit tedious after a while because it was often the only thing that they were saying. You know, there wasn't anything substantial about what the movie actually was. There was so much secrecy that one of the... I was looking at a clip from Comic-Con and Donor accidentally reveals the name of Starkiller Base. <laughs> and he looks devastated with himself. And it's like, that doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's so <laughs> unimportant. The <laughs> level like of baby. secrecy is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> I guess he thought that maybe Starkiller was too on the nose and he had just revealed the complete function of the enemy weapon. But it still really doesn't matter, Donal Baby. So, yeah. And really more for our benefit than for the listener's benefit, because I know people can't listen to a poster. I've included a wonderful mock-up poster that MTV made. And honestly, I feel like it has to be based on the... um, description i just read out the reddit theories yeah it aligns perfectly with theories we've just read out so donal and john they're both in jedi robes they're both blue lightsabers daisy is like done out like a pretty little princess with a headband and yeah very much looks like she could be the daughter of han and leia um max von Sydow, his front and center his face is enormous Andy Circus is looking quite charming and roguish behind him. And Adam Driver is in like a clone trooper outfit, I think. Is that what <laughs> is it he is? meant to be is he meant to be like a Boba Fett character, do you think? Yeah. So I think in the theory we just read, they said that it maybe he could be a bounty hunter. So I mm. think that's the vibe they're going for. But he looks so stupid, it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's clearly just because they took a look of him when he's like in girls or something yeah. You know, and for Kylo, it's all about that presentation, you know, how he looks so convincing in that part. And Adam Sackler is just not Kylo Ren. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah, so, oh yeah, one other thing to mention is that because, as I mentioned earlier, when the read-through image was released, Daisy Ridley was the only woman present apart from Carrie Fisher. Um, and people were understandably up in arms about this. You know, there was lots of pushback because people were like, wow, this is a total sausage fest, which to an extent it still is, to be honest. Um, but yeah, they kind of appeased that the next month when they announced that Gwendolyn and Lupita had been cast. So were they just not at the table reading? I f- honestly think they hadn't been cast at that point. Um, mm. Like, Or if they had, maybe it was like very late stage negotiations and they weren't going to commit i also the cynic in me also wonders if they were like well my role is so small what's the point of me coming this way (laughs) i've seen people speculate that those parts um were kind of cast quickly because of the criticism but i don't see how that could have been true at that stage no yeah i i don't think they were just like created as like a response to that like i feel like that's conspiratorial almost (laughs) Especially the Maz character. Like, I could maybe see that for Phasma. Like, that that role could have existed but been designed for a, a male actor. But Maz, I mean, no, J- JJ's talked about how she was kind of based on his teacher from school and so much work must have gone into that design that I just... Yeah. Yeah. No, she's clearly meant to be that whole, like, old wise woman trope, isn't she? So, yeah, makes sense. Um... Yep, so then we'll jump forward a little bit again. So the movie was filming in 2014 and there were spoilers coming out throughout that year. It was a very leaky movie in lots of ways and I obviously won't read out every single spoiler report because she would just go on and on. Um, But one of the earliest ones was from Birth Movies Death and this one came out in August 2014. So yeah, it's just interesting to see what people knew about the movie at certain points in the run-up to it. Could you read out the quote, Kirsty? Mm-hmm. Imagine the standard Star Wars crawl, and when it ends, the camera pans up to the stars. But instead of a spaceship zooming into frame, we see a hand. A severed hand tumbling through space, a severed hand gripping a lightsaber. That hand falls onto a desert planet, where it is discovered by characters who will be our heroes. One is Daisy Ridley, the other is John Boyega, who is playing someone trying to change his path in life. Again, I'm keeping it vague here. They recognise the lightsaber as a Jedi relic, and decide to return it to the proper people. Their quest takes them off-world and they meet up with Han Solo and Chewbacca, who aren't flying around in the Millennium Falcon anymore but are piloting... Well, that could be a spoiler. I'll leave it. Anyway, Han and Chewie recognise the lightsaber as Luke's, and they say they haven't seen their friend in 30 years since the events of Return of the Jedi. So begins a quest to find the missing Jedi Master. Meanwhile, on a nice planet, nefarious forces are building a super weapon, one capable of destroying not planets but entire solar systems. And yeah, I find this kind of hilarious because they were being so cagey and so secretive for so long. Yeah, this quite detailed explanation of the premise, which is very accurate for the most part, like came out almost 18 months before the film was released. And it's like, guys, mm. you really need to control this stuff more. It's so bad. Um, well, it was good for me because I found it quite fun and interesting <laughs> to read, but it can't have been good for the production team. Um, and yeah, one of the most interesting things is that whole idea of the movie opening with a handful in through space. 
which I very clearly remember at the time people saying, oh, that's ridiculous. They'd never open the movie like that. <laughs> and of course, the movie didn't open like that. But what did come out later is that that was the actual beginning at a certain point. And all the people reporting that as a legitimate spoiler were completely vindicated. So, yeah, sorry, guys. It's so gruesome. <laughs> it is very gruesome, isn't it? And it's like, what condition would that hand be in at that point? You know, <laughs> hasn't it been tumbling through space for like 30 years? Well, I mean, if it's tumbling through space, it might have been just fine. I don't know how Star Wars space physics work, but yuck. Yeah, it's really gross. It's like, would it be skeletal? No, I'm thinking about it too much. Um, But yeah, it's just disgusting and it's a good idea they cut it. Um, And an interesting thing that is stated here, but it doesn't match with the final film, is they basically indicate that Daisy and John discover the lightsaber together which obviously doesn't happen in the film. And also the MacGuffin is different. So early on in the development of the film, I think, it looks like the MacGuffin that was driving everything was the saber. Whereas in the film itself, it's the map that's contained within BB-8. So I reckon they probably did film this or something like this, where it was the lightsaber itself that was like instigating the plot. But then they changed that as they were making the film. I think so, because it... In the is it the teaser or the trailer where Maz is handing the saber to Leia? Yes, that's right. And and of course now we have that footage kind of repurposed for the Rise of Skywalker, with her handing over the saber to Rey. Mm. Yeah, that must have fit with that old story because Maz gives it to Finn, doesn't she? Yes, exactly. The lightsaber doesn't even come into it until they're on Takadana. So yeah, this seems like quite a significant change, really, but. They made it work. You don't feel like anything's jarring or been changed in a like crude way. You know, when you're watching the film, you wouldn't have realised this was what was originally meant to happen. Yeah, BB-8 with the map works perfectly, in my opinion. I, yeah. I think BB-8 is the star of the show in many ways. <laughs> exactly. Um, yep, so then in November 2014, which is a long way in advance of the film's release, and it set people up for a lot of expectations that would be cruelly dashed (laughs) they released a teaser for the force awakens and that was the briefest of imaginable teasers really just flashes of various shots but it did show people the new characters for the first time so it showed ray finn poe and kylo and it was obviously met with tremendous excitement because it was the first new stars footage in a long time and but unfortunately there was also a particular segment to the reaction that was really ugly and racist i hate to say because i'm sure people everyone remembers the like bullshit black stormtrooper discourse which yeah was so vile and so offensive um and yeah i did find a bbc article about it from the time um and yeah so it goes like this John Baeger has responded to racism after the first teaser for Star Wars The Force Awakens was posted online. The British actor, who appeared in the clip dressed as a stormtrooper, told critics of his casting to get used to it on Instagram. In the message, he also thanked fans for all the love and support after the teaser was posted online. His comments followed some questioning director J.J. Abrams for casting a black actor in a seemingly prominent role. One YouTube comment suggested the film didn't need some black Jedi. And I've read, dear black people, we are forced to include you into everything awesome we do, which are just absolutely vile comments. And it's just depressing because, you know, it's so horrible that John's experience of playing that character and being in Star Wars was coloured by this sort of thing from the beginning. Mm. It's just 
awful. Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, what can you say? It's disgusting. And I hate that this corner of uh, fandom, for lack of a better term, I don't know, they're here and they haven't gone away and it's terrible because they've continued to harass John and, and other actors and other people at Lucasfilm. It must be so disappointing for someone like John, who was a huge Star Wars fan, who was just starting out to to get such an amazing role and then that be people's reaction to that teaser and it obviously wasn't everyone's and he was he was conscious of that and pointed it out and thanked people for being supportive but for that to be part of the narrative and for him to be made to feel that way it's really horrible and it was all under the guise they couldn't even like i know these comments are very blatant but the overall like narrative that was spun over it um was oh well troopers are all meant to look like boba fett right so that's why we have a problem with it. It's not because he's black, which is just absolute BS. Yeah, it was all coached in the language of adherence to canon, which, yeah, as you say, is completely disingenuous because I'm not going to go into the reason why stormtroopers could be of any race by the point that The Force Awakens happens, but they absolutely could. And it's just so ridiculous that people were choosing that as their hill to die on, basically. Mm. And yeah, it's just a symptom of a deeper problem in fandom, unfortunately. Yeah, for I really wish Lucasfilm had like been more forceful at that point that they were going to stand behind their cast and everyone who works there because yeah. it's just kind of escalated from there. And they've they haven't been forceful, in my opinion, um, in a strong enough way to really send a message to those racist corners of the fandom. Yeah, and it's just kind of festered. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't want to go into this too deeply because there were literally dozens and dozens of spoiler reports coming out in throughout 2015 as the like build up to the movie was like ramping up. Um, but basically, throughout that whole year, increasingly detailed reports about what the movie was going to be came out. And yeah, my primary memory of that time is that there was lots of denial. So basically, as more and more promotional materials and images and trailers came out it became increasingly clear that these spoilers were true, essentially, that they were matching up closely with what was being released through official channels. Um, but yes, yeah, some people, for example, just could not accept that Luke was only going to be in the very last moment of the film because Aww. obviously people had this attachment to the character and people thought they were going to be surprised by a completely different version of the movie where Luke appeared and played a big role. Yeah, that did not turn out to be the case, unfortunately. So yeah, there's lots of disappointment there. But I think at the same time, the film also redeemed that for a lot of people because people saw how important it made Luke, you know, through how he's framed in the narrative. And yeah, I think seeing how Luke was positioned at the end made people very excited to see him in the next film. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that put a lot of pressure on The Last Jedi mm. to then meet people's expectations. And Ryan wasn't really interested in doing that either. So Yeah, exactly. And that will be a very interesting discussion for our Last Jedi episode. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, yeah. I get it. I just think it, it's all about how people handle these disappointments, I think. Yeah. Um. But I, I do, I, at this point, after being in fandom for a few years since The Force Awakens, I recognize that pattern of denial as more comes out before a movie or a show and people aren't happy about the way things look to be going. Uh, definitely recognize that from 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, history repeats, doesn't it? 
Um, but yeah, another interesting thing to know is that while we did have the plot, you didn't really get a sense for the texture of the plot or like how things were going to play out in certain situations. So, for example, like the Ray and Kylo stuff, it was all there in the spoilers, you know, but I never for a moment read that and had the impression that it was hinting at some sort of like romantic or intimate connection between Ray and Kylo. You know, it just sounded like typical villain stuff. You know, it was like Kylo kidnaps Ray and takes her to the base and stuff, you know, and it's described without any of the like dialogue or emotion. So I think it really does just drive home how spoilers they do spoil that's their nature but they also don't give you the full picture and they don't give a sense for how the scene will feel when you're watching it play out so yeah and i think that experience underlines why i tend to be quite open to spoilers you know and don't mind hearing about them because i know that they won't really match what actually happens in the film itself yeah and that makes sense to me and i know we're going to move into a discussion about how things went after the movie but um, looking at the spoilers, it almost seems like even after the movie came out and then people had watched it, a lot of people who were so immersed in the fandom and in their own theories kind of glossed over a lot of those interactions and only read them as deeply as the spoilers themselves had hinted at. Yeah. And that they just didn't really factor into anyone's, or into a lot of people's kind of understanding of the story or interpretation of where things might go as a result of it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it was just so interesting with the whole spoiler thing. And I think I bowed out around the time that the Han Solo dies spoiler came out. <laughs> because <laughs> it was That's horrible. a big one. <laughs> it's a very big one. And it was the sort of thing where like someone said, oh, we've got really juicy stuff in this one. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't read it. I shouldn't read it. And then I started reading it and I kind of saw that Han Solo died, but I also tried to like mentally block it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know like I was kind of in denial of it for a while but yeah I'd, I had definitely read it and was definitely spoiled on that fact before the film came out and if I hadn't been then I would have been spoiled by going on Twitter because a potato quality clip of Kylo Ren killing Han Solo was out after the premiere because yeah oh really shit, guys yeah I'm pretty sure it was or it was out very early like maybe after a press one or something oh but, wow yeah, I definitely remember seeing that okay I had no idea going into the film, so <laughs> Although I don't even remember feeling particularly surprised about that because mm. it's very, you know, it, again, coming back to A New Hope, it is like Obi-Wan passing, right? So sure, yeah, yeah. You kind of expect the mentor figure to, to leave at that point in the story. Yeah, no, like it feels inevitable when you think about it logically. And he, I wasn't like a huge Han Solo stan, but I, I still cared. So yeah, I love Han, sad. but in this movie, it it did feel like that was what it was leading up to for him. You know, like there were all these characters saying to him, "Your time is up," and there's no one left in the galaxy for you to swindle. And it just kind of seemed like he'd run out the clock. Yeah, and this was a good way to go out because it was him kind of facing what he'd been running away from that his family had kind of fallen apart, and he and he'd left too. So. I think in the film itself, they build up to it in a really natural way. I think, again, it's just because of the clinical nature of spoilers. It's like, Han goes here, Han does this. There's nothing really <laughs> about the conversations people are having. Yeah. And yeah, like you don't really get that like preamble that you do in the film. So yeah, the film could totally justifies it. Oh, and also, because I find it hilarious, at the start of December, so like before any press screenings and before the premiere, some marvellous person leaked the entire shot list for The Force Awakens online. 
It's just like the most detailed, imaginable scene by scene breakdown of everything that happens in the film. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, guys, this is just silly now. <laughs> it's just so much. Yeah, that is too much. Yeah. It's Everyone's funny. going to see it, so. <laughs> and yeah, there's lots of speculation about that shot list. Some people think that all the spoilers that came out earlier, they were derived from that shot list. And it was just that while the shot list only became public in December 2015, other people had access to it much earlier. So that's why spoilers were all over the internet for a long time in advance right. of the movie coming out. That's the sort of spoiler archaeology I didn't quite have the time to fully get into. But yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> mm. So yeah, let's go into feelings about the film on initial release. Um, so yeah, Kirsty, like, how about you? So your first view in Force Awakens, did everything immediately hit you? Like Raylo? Like, did you, like, get it the first time? Yes. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's very emphatic. I know this sounds weird to some people because I guess it wasn't part of the speculation leading up to the movie and afterwards it was considered very controversial because people were still hoping that they would turn out to be related and everything. But it just... That was one of my big takeaways from opening night. I was like... I came out... I vividly remember coming out of the movie theatre with a big group of friends. Remember what that feels like? Going to the movies with your oh, friends. so good. Oh, my God. Uh, and turning around and being like, whoa, that interrogation scene. Did anyone else pick up on that sexual tension? Like, I actually remember where I was stood. <laughs> I oh, that's amazing. How did people respond? Like, what... Did any of your friends pick up on it? Um, the girl in the group nodded. Mm-hmm. And everyone else looked a bit like... Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that sums it up but right in very general terms but yeah it was just like mm, i don't know you know because it's yeah that's that point in the story of course it was set up that like everyone had this feeling of like anything could happen next so i totally understand why people didn't want to commit to that reading in case she turned out to be his cousin or his sister or something yeah um but yeah that's just kind of a big thing that i came away from the movie with and then even having watched it a few times, I was like, wow, I really relate to these characters. That's interesting because I've never related to Star Wars characters that strongly. They've always seemed very kind of archetypal to me. And they, they are too, but there would just seem to be a greater depth there. Um, so yeah, that, that appealed to me. Yeah. No, like um, I'd love to say I was as quick off the mark as you. It did take me a few viewings, I think, to properly register it, you know, in terms of Raylo. Um, because I think the first time I saw it, I obviously went in with these expectations and this knowledge of, to some extent, what was going to happen. And I guess, like, due to various factors, you know, like all the speculation that Ray and Kylo were going to be siblings, like the spoilers reporting Ray and Kylo's interactions in a certain way that was quite cold. Um, yeah, like those things, they just like added up for me that to create a sum that led to the answer that was oh these people are probably related I'm just seeing things so that was kind of my takeaway after the first few in but it kept on nagging at me and I was like hang on I think I want to see that again I'm really interested in those characters so I went to see it again and it really like started to click you know and I started to see way more layers of meaning in the interactions between Ray and Kylo Ren and I also loved the movie in general I don't want to make it sound like that was the only thing that interested me but yeah like that was what really fascinated me you know that main dynamic and there was just something really 
like hard to pin down but like moving and powerful about their scenes together especially that final one in the forest you know where they're on the cliff edge and the lightsabers are crossed and there's the light playing off their faces you know there was just something quite like unique about the way that was framed and the way the actors were performing and stuff and yeah I just became kind of addicted and gosh I've lost track of how many times I watched Force Awakens when it first came out but it must have been like seven eight times it was too much (laughs) I really really loved that movie and I regret nothing because I had an absolute ball every time I saw it I think I maybe saw it five or six times at the cinema nice Uh, because I remember flying back home for Christmas and seeing it with family and friends in the UK and then going to Ireland and seeing it with my friend there um and she was really into it too and yeah, it was just something about the story was really resonating. And um, of course, I recognize the similarities in, in the plot, but the new characters and those incredible performances were what stood out. Um, and I also thought some of the designs were pretty genius too. Like BB-8, I know we kind of take him for granted now, but he was everywhere at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like BB-8 fever. Yeah, no, it was the baby odor of his time. Bless BB-8. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and um, like, what was your road to like getting into the online fandom, Kirsty, and discovering that other people like had similar observations and were also invested in these new characters? Like, how did that happen for you? Yeah, so again, this sounds really weird in hindsight, but around at that time, I didn't really have the concept of online fandom. Mm. Didn't have this sense that there would be people like talking to each other about this and yeah just like forming these communities around movies and tv shows so i just like googled it one day and i was like oh jedi council forums interesting people are talking about it and then (laughs) i was like whoa people have really strong contrasting opinions here okay so i like lurked for a long time and then started posting and i guess that's eventually how we found each other and started talking yes but yeah it was very intense those first few months because there were all of these different interpretations and of course they did not gel together and people very quickly kind of started building in like a weird sense of like what other fans morality would be if they felt differently about the story and that persists to this day unfortunately but yeah yeah it's kind of funny <laughs> no it was really a fascinating time it was like the battlegrounds were being drawn at that time basically like it was all still like very early and in motion i think the first place i discovered the fandom was on tumblr i think i already had a tumblr account for like illustration or something like that and i just typed into the search bar ray and kylo ren or something like that or maybe just kylo ren um, and then through that, I discovered there was such a thing as the Raylo tag. And I was like, oh, Raylo, what could that be? <laughs> I clicked on it and obviously it's just this whole new world and it's dozens and dozens of posts. And I remember in those early days, just refreshing it all the time and be like, oh, what, what's new? What's new? What's the new fan art? What's the new meta? And so on. And it was just such an exciting time because it was awesome to discover that you were part of this community where there were other people who had the same type of way of engaging with this story you know and saw the same things because I was like you Kirsty I saw it with lots of different friends and people with different perspectives but none of them like really saw it in the same way I did you know some people might have like nodded and agreed but you know there wasn't this like passionate interest in it Mm. Um, and yeah that's the sort of like deep investment you only find online typically anyway yeah a lot of the friends that I ended up seeing it with they 
come to it from a very sci-fi fan approach mm. and i was kind of coming from it from a fairy tale it just it struck me as a fairy tale first and foremost yeah um especially with a lot of like the imagery and the set design and the tropes that they were using so that's that's what stood out to me and i think maybe that informed my reading um as opposed to other popular ones out there what do you think yeah no i definitely think it is very much what you bring with you um that really informs what you like get from it and how you perceive those characters um because yeah i think for me it was a process of seeing story in those terms and there was lots of great meta out there in the early days that really like drove that home like i wrote i remember i think i wrote meta in december 2015 so i wrote some really early stuff but it was still quite new to me at the time um especially to write in star wars meta i'd never written meta about star wars before and yeah it was kind of a process of figuring out my own thoughts as much as anything else um but yeah i think people like ashes for foxes like who wrote really extensive meta drawing on all those like symbolic influences and the like patterns and storytelling and stuff you know that sort of thing really opened my eyes to wow there's so much going on with this Mm. um and yeah there were just so many awesome cool people in the early fandom you know and i feel like it is often a bit of like a forgotten part of the history now because there is a lot of emphasis on the post the last jedi fandom which is understandable the last jedi is awesome and it brought in loads of new fans which is fantastic but I think it can't be overstated that there was a very big, vibrant community of people who were really invested in Raylo and the new characters generally, at just on the merits of Force Awakens. Yeah. There was obviously also a ton of discussion around who Ray's parents were going to be. Yeah. Which kind of confused me at first, because when I was watching the film, that question did not occur to me at all. Like, obviously, I saw that it was a huge part of Ray's story that she was waiting for them. But who they were, I didn't think that that mattered. I thought the whole point was that it was about her moving on and letting go of the past. Um, So I I guess that's why Ray being revealed as a nobody, in air quotes, in The Last Jedi, that just made sense to me. Again, at that point, that didn't even count to me as like a reveal. It was just where I read the story initially. But I know that there were huge factions forming even in the Raylo fandom about like, oh, maybe she's a, a Kenobi and, and all sorts. And and didn't you have Ray Palpatine down pretty early on as a possibility? I think I did throw it out there. I'm not sure how serious I was about it. I would need to go back, you know, and read what I wrote at the time. Um, but yeah, it was definitely something that I was playing with. Um, you do hear his voice in her vision. Oh my God, that's a good question. <laughs> If I did, I think I've forgotten it. (laughs) I can't remember what he says, but he says something. Yeah, I think it's very brief, isn't it? Is it maybe? Is he the one who says like "any Jedi" or something? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But but he's there. They have something to hang it on. They're like, "Oh, see, it was all planned from the beginning." (laughs) Look, there's this tiny soundbite of Palpatine. It's barely audible. (laughs) Oh my god, it's so funny. Um. And yeah, like I think for me, I was also lucky that I did start my fandom experience with Tumblr rather than say Jedi Council forums like you, Kirsty, because it did mean I was like in a very like happy space where people were very positive and enthusiastic. And like I didn't really understand 
the like whole pushback thing for a little while, you know, like and but there was a big anti Raylo movement on Tumblr quite early on, but it just took me a while to cross paths with it, basically. So yeah, I was in blissful ignorance for quite a while, which was very nice. I would recommend it. Yeah, I'd had I'd had a Tumblr a couple of years before, but it was just like an aesthetic blog. And I mm. had no sense of like the fandom communities and like the shipping same. wars. It was <laughs> Social just, same. That stuff was like <laughs> what <laughs> i can show you the world oh no thanks <laughs> wow because yeah like again it's all well it's not all on twitter there is still like fandom on tumblr but i feel like there has been a huge like exodus basically to twitter from tumblr largely because of the censorship <laughs> um yeah i almost miss those days because now everyone's on twitter it's like a little too close to the creators Mm, you know yeah i did like having our own little enclave kind of where we could just like do and say what we wanted without fear of being like overseen kind of which yeah exactly yeah it's not good it can be a little bit yeah like it's too much sometimes like (laughs) yeah (laughs) like sometimes people are tagged in things they shouldn't be tagged in let's just leave it there uh yeah but still i have lots and lots of fond memories of that time there were lots of like new friendships being formed there was lots of excitement like this podcast started in 2016 so it wasn't like right after force awakens it was a bit of a process um because yeah we met on the Raylo forum i believe kirsty i think we'd probably both seen each other's posts on jedi council forum but i'm not yeah. sure if we really like engaged much you know over private message there I I remember writing to you, I think, because I was impressed by, you know, your posts and stuff on the forum. And it's like, hey, would you oh, be well, interested in doing a podcast? You're welcome. <laughs> well, we met at um, Celebration in London, right? Yes, we did. But we set that up on Private Messenger over the Raylo forum. I remember that. Yeah. So. I um, I don't, I think I was just planning to be home at that time anyway. And then I saw that Celebration was happening and my husband was like, oh, you should go. You know, oh, you're yeah. going to be right there anyway. Uh, so I did. And that was just a lot of fun. I don't think I'd even been to a con before, to be yeah, honest. Same. It was my so, first one. Very interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was really exciting. I also met my friend Melissa there. So shout out to Melissa. But yeah, like, obviously, there's so much we could talk about from experiences with the fandom for The Force Awakens. You know, we could do endless hours talking about that time there was a lot going on and there were lots of like battles and like back and forths and stuff do you remember ashgate oh yes oh my god ashgate (laughs) that was around the time they were gonna release the blu-ray so uh jj was giving more interviews and just throwing out (laughs) ideas that they had discarded during the process and he said something about the you know when kylo takes his helmet off and dumps it down it's like oh yeah that's that's uh the ashes of his enemies yes i do remember that and i remember some people like putting up posts being like i i did ship Raylo, but i just can't anymore this is <laughs> it's just too much <laughs> it's it was just so funny because that was like the first time it struck me that i was like he's telling you that that's not what's in the movie it was an idea that they had considered beforehand and then yeah. thrown away like so <laughs> it's not real and obviously if you look at the art of the force awakens book and you see like the development of that character he was obviously much creepier and just straight up villainous early on i don't think he was even human at first i think he was like a cyborg he ate sun matter (laughs) 
So, oh, what's for breakfast? Oh, some like purified sun matter, Kylo. Oh, exciting. <laughs> you still kind of get the echoes of that with Starkiller Base itself, but yes, Kylo certainly <laughs> wasn't gobbling up that stuff. Don't know what he ate, yeah. but he probably needed more of it. it. Looked a bit scrawny. No, he's not scrawny. So he's completely stacked. So. <laughs> it makes sense on the journey to where they ended up with the character. He slowly got slightly less intimidating. Yeah, exactly. Until um, it was a proper softy at the end. So yeah. But yeah, that was a big point of drama, which seems ridiculous in hindsight, because at the time, and I guess it has been this way since, like a lot of fans of the character felt the need to kind of defend why they like him, considering he does bad things. Exactly. And I remember like there will always be this interest in like marker of where people were at in kind of like how they approach these characters and Raylo in particular. So if you go onto Archive of Our Own and you go back to the very earliest Raylo fix, so from the end of 2015 and early 2016, you will find a not insubstantial number of fix where the tags are things like AU where Kylo Ren and Ray are not related. <laughs> because <laughs> some people were so convinced that these characters were related that they had to like tell what they considered to be an AU version of the story where they were not related to allow themselves to ship them which yeah that's the sort of like twisty thinking that you find in fandoms especially shipping fandoms and yeah it's very funny do you remember that there was even disagreement about whether you should call him Kylo or Ben <laughs> I like the idea that you shouldn't call him Ben because that's not what that's not the name that he's chosen for himself. I vaguely remember that. I don't think I really like got involved with that particular fight, um, but I do I didn't remember either. that being I a thing. I just remember seeing it. Yeah, and yeah, it's kind of funny with knowing that the Last Jedi was just around the corner and people were going to call him Ben throughout that movie. <laughs> exactly, and now it's become dominant. It's great. Um, but yeah, like I think really just to sum up, I felt like Force Awakens was the kind of story I'd been craving for years. You know, it's like really lavish. It's really like expensive. It's like on a huge scale, but it also follows a female protagonist. It also feels very intimate. It also feels much more like fairy tale and fantasy-esque, you know, than sci-fi. And like, I, I do like sci-fi, you know, under the, under the right circumstances. But I think fantasy is always going to be my main love and a particularly folklore and fairy tale infused fantasy. And yeah, it was kind of like Force Awakens scratched a niche I didn't know I had until after I saw Force Awakens, if that makes sense. It's just really hard to describe, but I just loved it so much and I really attached to it in this deep, deep way. And I'll always be so grateful to it because, yeah, for me, it's my stars. You know, and I know that's a bit hokey, but it just is. Yeah, I still think that it introduces all of those new characters so masterfully. You can you can see why the film inspired so much in the fandom in terms of art and fic and that endless speculation. Like that was a really fun time before The Last Jedi. Yeah. Exactly. I think that period between Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, which we'll talk about when we get to The Last Jedi, that's definitely one of the best times in fandom. It was wonderful. Yeah, it just felt like anything could happen in that new era because it was like the start of a new, almost an epoch, right? In terms of like, you've got the originals and you've got the prequels and you just felt like it was opening up a whole new corner of the galaxy. And yes, you had the older characters, but it was quite clear at that point that they were taking a back seat and it was really about these new younger characters. Um, 
Yeah. I, so on rewatch, I, I wouldn't say that like parts of it are ruined for me, but there's a little bit of the magic gone just in terms of I don't know, like stuff like Ray's vision where you kind of realize, and this was kind of clear over time because you could hear from like the commentary and like what the editors have been saying about what a pain that was to kind of piece together. <laughs> yes. You realize that JJ wasn't necessarily thinking long term about the reason for everything there. Yeah. Which, which is probably, you know, pretty common. But in terms of like it stretching over a trilogy and having multiple creators involved and him originally thinking that he would be gone after that first episode. Um, I don't know it, it's liberating in a way because you take your own meaning from them but in terms of like understanding the intent some parts of it you can only go so deep yeah. um, it feels and looks cool <laughs> seems to be the underlying reason for for a lot of stuff yeah. and he, obviously even when he came out of his commentary he had to be pretty cagey about certain things but what was interesting about his commentary that came out was it in October that year Yes. Because they did two different Blu-ray releases. <laughs> they did, they? and that pissed me off no end. Very, very <laughs> sneaky of them. Yeah. I did end up buying both. Uh, <laughs> Same. <laughs> but I remember him, because he'd recorded it after the film had come out, and Ryan didn't do that with The Last Jedi, um, he was kind of responding to people's reactions to the story. And I remember the part where um, Kylo and Han are on the bridge confronting each other, he talks about how people have told him, like, oh, it looked like Kylo did this, you know, in cold blood. It was calculated. He planned it beforehand. And he was like, no, the idea is that you don't know up until the last second, like, what he's going to do. And he genuinely doesn't know either. Mm. So. Yeah. Now, I remember it being very exciting when that commentary came out, because obviously there had just been all this furious debate about what was the intent? What was the intent? What did JJ mean by this? And it was honestly shocking to me, like, and I probably was just being too doubtful of my own observations and what I'd seen with my own eyes, like how much of what he said lined up with what Raylos had been saying. Mm. You know, like he was really strong on describing things in terms of fairy tale imagery and talking about the emotional nature of those interactions between Ray and Kylo. You know, so it really did bring home to me that, yeah, we're really on to something with this. You know, we're not just seeing things. So I think it was very easy in that post Force Awakens period to be a bit gaslit, I hate to say, you know, because there was very strong pushback from some courses over the fact that you were just seeing things. None of this was what was really there, you know, like basically being treated like it was all in our heads and we were deviant somehow for seeing things in the way we had. But then when you have the director come out and say, no, this is how I intended it and this is what I was going for, there's nothing, there's no greater endorsement when it comes to interpreting a film, basically. So, yeah, that was a nice time. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what a few of those... Oh, when uh, he takes the mask off and he's like, Adam just looks like a prince. Exactly. And, yep. <laughs> and when he takes her away in the forest, he's like, you get the sense that something else is going on here. It was like a picture of him like winking at the camera. <laughs> exactly. And comparing Ray to Cinderella, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That was so good. Um, but yeah, no, you're right that in retrospect, you know, now that we have the whole trilogy, things do obviously play out a little bit differently when you're watching it. But that was true of the originals as well. Yeah. No, it is true. Um, and I guess really it's just a question of where those changes are like enhancing what's in the force awakens where they're to the detriment of what's happening in the force awakens and i think you're absolutely right that something like the vision that is 
it really just feels like arbitrary <laughs> now to be honest you know that we have the whole trilogy it doesn't really have much of a greater meaning like i think the most substantial thing going on in that vision is ray sees a lot of kylo ren and it's clear that he's central to her destiny you know it's like prefiguring the fact that he's going to be an important person in her life that still holds true and that's an important part of that vision but yeah, you know, stuff like seeing the hallway from Empire Strikes Back, like that didn't need to be there. That was just JJ having fun and being nostalgic. <laughs> like, yeah, fine. I almost wonder if it's meant to be like a catch up to, oh, this is what's been going on in Star Wars in case this is the first one you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> wow, if it was, that's a very confusing catch up. Because <laughs> well, Ray's new to it too, in a way, isn't she? Yeah, so. no, it's true. And I guess you could argue that that's the point. The fact that there's this like long storied history behind all these characters that is probably new to some younger members of the audience and is new to Ray herself. And it's just too much. It's overwhelming. You just want to like reject it and run away, which is what Ray does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's not completely without merit. You know, you can still interpret it in interesting ways. It's just, I remember a time when people were like picking that apart second by second, freeze framing every moment, like deciphering all the different levels of the soundtrack and stuff to get to every single line. And it was all fun. I really enjoyed all that stuff. But yeah, it, it, it must feel a bit disappointing for some of those people because many intricate theories were crafted on the basis of that work. I saw a tweet yesterday where someone was saying that the Knights of Ren are their favourite thing in the sequel trilogy. Wow, that's Which, quite something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it fascinates me because it's like, okay, so I guess you, lo- you love the Rise of Skywalker because that's where they're featured most heavily. But I wonder what that person thought seeing them in the vision in The Force Awakens. Like, was that what they grabbed onto? And you were thinking, because there was a lot of theorizing, wasn't there, about like who the knights were, how long Kylo had been with them. Were they the students from Luke's temple? What are they doing in that uh, force back? Is Rey actually there or is she kind of intruding on something that's happening elsewhere? All sorts of things. Yeah, no, that's quite wild to me. <laughs> the fact, yeah, wow. Like, but good for them. Good for them. Everyone has a favorite character, and in some case, people have a favorite group of seven characters. So, yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> and another thing from the Force Awakens is the score. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. There's so much to it, to be honest. Like, this is really more just like about impressions and feelings. But yeah, the soundtrack's a big part of that. I'll never forget hearing like Jedi steps at the end when oh, Ray's yeah. climbing that mountain to meet Luke. It's just the most like wonderful, like mystical sound, you know, and it just fills you with anticipation of what's to come. And I think I remember seeing it in the cinema and just feeling like moved, but also immensely frustrated because it's like, oh man, I know this means it's ending and I don't want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that part where she gets to the top and it gets kind of loud and almost creepy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is really building to this moment, so I can see why people had a lot of hopes riding on how Luke would behave <laughs> after that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, like I guess I I actually rewatched the film for the purposes of this discussion. Um, I know you didn't have time to, Kirsty, and I watched some of it. I didn't get through the whole thing. Yeah, I've seen it so many times; it doesn't matter. It's ingrained in your head. You can play it. It is will, honestly, basically. yes. <laughs> But yeah, I think for me watching it again, so I think it had been two years since I'd last seen it, so a little while. Um, But yeah, like I obviously loved it. You know, I'm always going to love this movie. Like, no apologies. I just think it's awesome. Um, And yeah, I like obviously all the Raylo stuff sticks out. You know, I don't need to say that again. We've been talking about that at quite some length. 
Um, but yeah, beside that, I think it really stood out to me again how wonderful all that stuff with Ray and Finn is. I just love all their interactions so much. It's so well done by Daisy and John. They have such nice chemistry together and yeah like, I just love like all the like emotional nature of their interactions you know like mm. that moment where Finn is trying to get Ray to go with him on Takadana yeah. and the way you can just see her heart breaking because she has this certain idea of him in her head and him saying these things it's not matching up with that so she feels like let down again you know like how she did when she was a child whereas for Finn like from his point of view he's just trying to protect her and keep them both safe all there's all these like dimensions to the emotional stuff that's going on with them and yeah I just love it and it's definitely the best film for their relationship I think I agree one of my favorite things about this movie aside from that Finn and Ray relationship is the Finn and Kylo relationship um, mm. which sounds strange now because it's not really built on after this movie, but I think it set things up there as those two characters being foils thematically so well. Um, I, I love their part of the fight on Starkiller Base before before Ray picks up the saber. I think that's so excellent. And there's so much emotion and self-doubt, yet, I don't know, Finn's trying really hard to be brave and you, you because you've seen everything that's led up to this point see what a huge deal that is for him um yeah and i just kind of i'll always be a bit sad that that wasn't developed further but i enjoy it in this movie yeah no same like and yeah like i love how the finn and kylo thing how it's really prefigured by that moment at the very beginning where you see just like kylo pause and just stop and look at finn and obviously there's no words between them but you just know that they recognize something in each other and yeah, it just has the most awesome like build up and climax when they actually face off at the end. So yeah, like it's obviously not a huge feature of the film. I think the only scene where they actually have direct interactions is that end scene where they're fighting. But yeah, that is a great scene to have, you know, if you're going to have an action scene between two characters. Yeah, I guess now you can kind of pin that first scene in Kylo's you know, he pauses and looks right at Finn as him sensing his powers, like before Finn was even aware of them. Yeah. But at the time, I preferred it to almost mean like he was sensing Finn's doubt. He realized that he wasn't shooting. Yeah. And and he showed mercy. He let him go um, rather than following him and figuring out what was going on there. Because later on, when Huck says like, oh, it was one of ours that helped them, he knows exactly who it was. So maybe considers himself partly to blame there yeah i think i remember one of the earliest meta i wrote after the force awakens came out it was about like the fight between kylo and finn and it was basically about how like a lot of what kylo says and the way he behaves in that fight in relation to finn it's about his self-hatred you know Mm. and it's about projecting like his own loathing of himself onto finn you know, like saying things like traitor, you know, I think he really considers himself a traitor to some extent. And yeah, it was just, it was like a nice time for like just ideas and like theorizing and stuff in relation to things like that. And yeah, I love that deep level of engagement. You rarely get that, I think, in a fandom. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been fun to get an echo back to that traitor line in Tross (laughs) (laughs) once he'd affected? (laughs) Yes. It would be so good. I honestly think it's such a huge missed opportunity. 
they just completely drop that thread with Finn and Kylo. You know, they have so much history just on the basis of The Force Awakens. You know, and like just to see how that dynamic would evolve, you know, like with Finn learning about Ray's connection to Kylo Ren. And then, you know, like when Kylo Ren's redeemed and becomes Ben Solo again, you know, how does he relate to him then? You know, obviously the film doesn't go into any of that, but, and, and obviously the films don't go into any of that, but yeah, it's a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, they kind of will in my mind in terms of what the sequel trilogy does. I have my own little version of it. <laughs> yeah, which is a good way to be. And I think it's frustrating because in The Rise of Skywalker, for example, they do have a scene where Rey tells Finn that she's had a dream of being with Kylo Ren on a bloody throne. You know, it's clearly like coded romantic, you know, what she's seeing. And then you, they don't show us Finn responding to that. And it's like, come on, you were so close. I just want yeah. to see what he thinks. So Yeah, yeah. we'll get to all that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in due course, in due course. Um... Yeah, so I guess in terms of what's happened since The Force Awakens came out, you know, what we now know on the basis of the information revealed in The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, does it like radically alter how you perceive anything in The Force Awakens or like how you interpret particular moments or anything like that? And that could be for good or for ill. So, yeah. And I know we've already talked about what it does to the vision scene, for example. Hmm. Not a huge amount, honestly. I kind of see it as its own thing. And as I said before, The Last Jedi works really well with it, in my opinion. I know that's not the case for a lot of fans, but I think the story is pretty seamless between those two. Yeah. So if I kind of just compartmentalize the sequel trilogy that way, it works for me. And there's nothing that stands out that's like, that just doesn't work in the story, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, how about for yourself? Yeah, like I think I'm quite similar. Like it doesn't, like break anything in The Force Awakens you know it all still works really well in its own right I think you know obviously it does give new context to certain things so something like the interrogation there was lots of spec over what that meant you know and it was like considered a novel idea at one point that they might have a force bond you know (laughs) (laughs) it seems pretty obvious to me that they're building this intense connection between them sure yeah but I I do still remember that being like a subject of debate you know like yeah like it wasn't like a firm thing at the time the film came out and it's kind of hard to extract it now you know and remember yeah. how it felt to experience that first time because we have all these layers and layers of interpretation on top of it um but yeah that's something that's obviously been heavily built up in the subsequent films you know because that connection's so crucial to how the whole trilogy plays out it's true i remember very early on a lot of the fix were about them having a force bond yeah. Um, in terms of meta, I guess people were a bit a, a bit more wary of it in terms of like actual speculation for where the story was going because we'd been told that they weren't pulling from the EU anymore and force bonds were considered kind of more of an EU thing, right? That might yeah. have been it. Um, and I think I, I kind of landed somewhere in the middle where I thought they were definitely going to have this connection in the force, but I didn't think they were going to like name it. So when we get to... Um, the Rise of Skywalker, the dyad as a concept surprised me. Yeah. Like that they actually made it like a plot point, you know? Yeah, they really went all in. And again, this is like head canony and a bit of a reach. It's not something where they've explicitly stated that this is what's happened. But because of something like the dyad thing, like I like to impress new meaning on things like the what girl line, for example, because we see like in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book that 
when Kylo Ren has fallen to the dark side, Ray feels that, you know, from across the galaxy. And again, like this is all extended head headcanon. I know I'm bringing in lots of stuff well, the filmmakers weren't thinking of, but I don't know. I I I think you're onto something. Mm, yeah, because like I just can't help but think, you know, like there was all these ideas about what girl could mean. You know, maybe it's his sister. Maybe. <laughs> You, you know, like that was the most common one. Basically, it was like, oh, she's his sister, and she's been missing, and he's been looking for her. But I personally, on the basis of what's been revealed after, I like to think they probably had visions of each other across the force without properly understanding them. You know, he knew there was like a, an important girl waiting for him in his future. Oh, sorry, that sounds so dumb. No, I think you're right. There's that part in the novelization when Ray first sees him on Takadana. And it says she had seen this man before in a daydream in a nightmare. Yeah. And then when they're on, when she captures the saber at the end, there's that part where he says, it is you. And I think that was originally meant to be a line in the film, but then they cut it. Yeah. And I kind of wish they had kept it because then it would cohere even more nicely, you know, the whole dyad thing. Yeah. And I think my only sadness around the dyad thing is they didn't go more into it. You know, it's kind of like used as a plot device more than anything in Rise of Skywalker, but... Yeah, it definitely feels more magical in The Last Jedi, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the sort of thing where it's a nice idea and it can be like adopted by the fandom, you know, and used in more interesting ways than it was in the movie where it was introduced, basically. So that's what I choose to do with it when I rewatch something like The Force Awakens now. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that recontextualizing it because I guess it's been a good few years since the Force bond was kind of cemented as part of the canon so when i watch that the force awakens now it just seems to make sense like it the the story just flows in that way which is ideal really yeah no and i definitely think having rewatched it that all the Raylo stuff is the stuff that benefits most strongly with hindsight you know and having and knowing the subsequent history of those characters because yeah as has been pointed out many times those are the characters that get the most attention and the most emotional development you know they're given a lot of attention across all three films whereas for the other characters it's much more inconsistent so yeah like unfortunately one of my main like disappointments regarding subsequent developments and how they affect how i see the force awakens is one of the things i love so much about force awakens that ray and finn connection that knowledge that is never really developed in the way it could have been, you know, and yeah. and that Finn and Kylo connection just being dropped completely, basically, and things like that. It's yeah, it's just sadness, I think, you know, because it's so full of potential and there's so much great stuff there, and it just wasn't used in the right way. Yeah, I think Finn's story in general, it it kind of just seems like they had this notion of, oh yeah, I I know that there's that conversation that's been conveyed to fans it's like oh Lawrence Kasdan came up with the idea of him being a stormtrooper because you know that would be this really big idea but then the implications of that weren't really fought through in terms of what that could mean for his arc yeah I I know that there are things that are explored in the rise of Skywalker but I don't think it's given the depth it really deserves and it's a shame for that character because John does such a fantastic job with him and the force awakens he's he's great throughout that entire movie yeah, I look back at those character descriptions that we read out at the start of the episode and I look back at the one for the character who'd become Finn, basically. And I'll just read that again quickly. It says, has grown up without a father's influence, without the model of being a man. He doesn't have the strongest sense of himself. And 
like I feel like Finn in The Force Awakens is great and he's really well done in that film, but it's very much the beginning for a character. Mm. And I feel that early description of him there, that indicates they didn't have that same game plan for the character, you know, that they did in a stronger way for Rey. Because again, even in that early description, there's a much more fleshed out idea of what she is you know and what her goals are and what type of person she is so yeah i think it just points to like a fundamental like lack of care i think in the planning of the character and what his destination is going to be i agree it's such a shame it is such a shame and yeah the only thing i can say is i'm just glad that john is getting so many fantastic opportunities now because he's been cast in so many different projects and yeah it's just wonderful to see his career take off so much Oh yeah, he he does great with what he's given in all of the mm. free movies. So, yeah, none of it's down to his performance or interpretation of the character. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, like he's just so fabulous in The Force Awakens. I love him in it. And aside from anything else that happens subsequent to The Force Awakens, it's still a great character and a great role for him. So, yeah, I'm really glad we have Finn. And I really do sincerely hope that we get to revisit him at some point in the future. And obviously, I only want that if John wants that, you know, because it's not like anyone's going to press gang an actor and be like, you must play Finn again. You know, it's not going to happen. But I feel like there are ways to tell great stories about Finn still, you know, and bring real gravitas to his story. But yeah, that obviously won't happen for a while and we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, there are always possibilities for books. Exactly. You don't need the. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to say, how do you feel about Ray Palpatine? Mm. I know we we were talking about it briefly because of the vision, but aside from that, in terms of her, like the story of her parents leaving her on Jakku for her protection, and I don't know how does the thing about that that doesn't really work for me is that you would not leave her with Unkar Plut. I guess they were desperate, but. Who would trust that guy? <laughs> yeah, it's like, how desperate do you have to be, God? Um, yeah, like, it doesn't work, to be honest. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And, yeah, like, it, it saddens me to say that, because, like you say, I was, like, an early adopter of the idea of Ray Palpatine. You know, and I do still firmly believe that Ray Palpatine, if it had been pl- there from the beginning and really planned out and that had been her character arc, I think Ray Palpatine could have been great. You know, I think it could have been done really well and been in a really interesting story for her. But because it's so obviously an afterthought, it just feels completely shoehorned on and it just doesn't cohere with what came before. So really, I think I just compartmentalise when it comes to the Ray Palpatine stuff. Like I pick and choose what I want to like apply from Rise of Skywalker to The Force Awakens, basically. And Ray Palpatine is one of the things I choose not to apply basically i know this sounds like a cop out but yeah that's kind of how i work i'm kind of the same like i know that that's part of her story but my brain kind of rejects it on one level yeah so i can't really reconcile it with the rest of the story yeah no it is really peculiar (laughs) um but yeah that was so much fun kirsty i really enjoyed doing that and it was a lovely trip down memory lane yeah i cannot believe how long ago this film came out it's wild that's the thing we've talked about this film a lot over the years but going back to what the fandom was actually like at this point is different yes and it's kind of it is fun to kind of walk down memory lane and think about how much has changed since then and how much unfortunately is still the same yeah in terms of the debates that rage on exactly humans get stuck in the same old cycles don't they (laughs) 
when it comes to fandoms oh my gosh but yeah no i love doing that and yeah we will be doing another one on the last jedi and eventually the rise of skywalker um so yeah we really hope that people look forward to those um because yeah i certainly look forward to recording them same okay awesome so i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 i'm kirsty and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye